Guess what? It is the first official Sunday of summer. Do we have any kids that are excited today? Yes? Now, come on, kids. If you're not more excited about that, we might make you go back to school. So, yeah, we are so glad that you are here today. And remember, in any of your travels this summer, because I know a number of people, you know, obviously you have plans and things that will be happening, remember that you can watch us online live every Sunday. If you just go to mw.church and click on the little watch uh, tab, and there's the YouTube logo, and you can watch us live streaming on YouTube, just like those of us uh, who are right there right now. I'm looking at you. Can they see me? I'm looking at you. Would you make everybody who is online feel welcome? Because they're watching with us today. That's for you. All right, let's get our Bibles ready. Let me ask you the question. How many of you are ready to study God's Word today? We are in Exodus chapter 14 today. Exodus chapter 14, it's really easy to find. It's right up in the front of your Bible just after uh, the book of Genesis. And in this series, we have been looking at the life of Moses and how God from a very early age had a calling on his life and great plans. And that evidenced itself in this big dream that God placed in his heart to go back to the land of Egypt where he had grown up and they, that while he was there, he was a member of a group of people known as the Hebrews or the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. Now there are a couple of questions that arise and I've had people ask me this, what is the difference between a Hebrew, an Israelite and a Jew? Not that much difference. They're basically three different terms generally used to describe the same people group. That Abraham, the father of uh, the covenant, and we've learned this, this last week, we learned about the Abrahamic covenant last Sunday and how God poured out his blessing, that that was marked through circumcision, and that was a message that some of you have never heard before. It was a really uh, interesting message. I heard that there were uh, some, uh, you know, seventh graders who had a lot of questions when they went home last Sunday. And so, uh, so that, that Abraham, Scripture refers to him as the father of the Hebrews. And so that word is, is found in the very, very beginning of that covenant, and then his son, uh, you have later on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's name, what does Jacob mean? It means Israel. So that's where the name Israelites comes from. And eventually when they take over the land, uh, in the promised land, it becomes known as Israel. But then the kingdoms split. And so as the kingdoms split, you have the northern kingdom that goes by the, uh, the name Israel, and the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is was called, does anybody know, our Bible scholars, what was the southern kingdom in the Old Testament? Judah, exactly. So what does that sound like? Judah, the people of Judah became known as Jews. And so that's where that term comes from. And then the northern kingdom eventually is taken over by the Assyrians. And by the way, in case you were wondering, this is not in my notes. I didn't plan on talking about this at all, but, uh, but hopefully it's helpful. And so the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, is taken over by the Assyrians. And so uh, then that term 
uh, Jewish becomes more and more prevalent throughout the days, even to this day. So that is uh, where all that comes from, all those names. So when we talk about Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew people, and that's where we get the, the term for the Hebrew language, when we talk about Israelites, when we talk about the Jewish people, we're all talking about these people that God called and God said, I will make you a blessing, Abraham, so that then you will take that message and take that blessing to the rest of the world. And that's why we're here today. That, that Christianity, Jesus claimed not to be a, a counter-revolution against Judaism, but rather the fulfillment of Judaism. That he was the Messiah that the Israelites had been looking for all along. That is his claim, and that is who we worship today. And so, that's how all that fits together in a uh, one-minute summary. Hopefully that's helpful. So... Moses goes back to Egypt and says to the Pharaoh, let my people go. And what does he say? Oh, no, I will not let them go, right? Do you remember that from last week? <laughs> let them go. I will not let them go. Let them go. And so you th I thought, you know what? Because that just kind of came out spontaneously last Sunday. I was not planning on that either. Kind of surprised me as much as it surprised you. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody in the Old Testament. I thought that sounds a lot like the Passover story. And so I looked it up on the internet to see if Bohemian Rhapsody had anything to do with the Passover story. Will you believe there was a remake of that Queen song on YouTube about the Passover with Moses and the Pharaoh? Let them go. I will not let them go. And uh, so you can, please don't look that up now. <laughs> Wait until you go home, but look it up. I promise it'll make your day. If you don't like it, don't blame me. And so uh, I didn't make it. So, it. so finally, as God brings the plagues upon Egypt to force Pharaoh to let God's people go, it is not until the Passover night, the Passover story that we looked at last week, that finally Pharaoh relents and allows God's people to be set free. To leave Egypt. And so they gather up all their belongings, they gather up all of their sheep and their animals, and they take off into the desert to escape from Egypt. Well, the problem is Pharaoh starts to have second thoughts. And, and, and the people are thinking about it. I mean, the, the Israelites were the backbone of their economy. They had been slaves doing this hard labor for hundreds of years. And so Pharaoh changes his mind and he gathers up his army and he takes 600 chariots, the biggest, meanest fighting machines in that generation. And, and they take off into the desert to go and capture the Hebrew people and bring them back to Egypt. And this is the day that the dream, the dream of freedom for the Israelites turns into a nightmare. That's the question we're going to talk about today. Let me ask you, have you ever had this happen? What do you do when your dream becomes a nightmare? Because here they are, they're camped out at the Red Sea. They've come through the desert, they've arrived as they've trekked through the wilderness at this immovable obstacle, the Red Sea. And they're camped out here trying to figure out, what are we going to do? God, what do you want us to do? And then 
When they think that things cannot get worse, they hear a terrifying sound. They can hear the sound of horses and chariots, and the Egyptians are coming to get them. And so here they are with the Red Sea before them and the Egyptian army behind them, and there are two options, only two options. They can drown at sea or they can die in battle. Those are the two options. Well, that's not very encouraging. It kind of reminds me of uh, when Woody Allen gave the graduation speech at Harvard University. He said, you have entered a crossroads of life. Down one road is despondency and despair. Down the other road is total annihilation. I sure hope you make the right choice. <laughs> and so that is how they feel in this story as we pick up in Exodus 14. All of their dreams have come to this dead end. But here is what they did not realize. That this, this problem is an opportunity for God to reveal his glory. Let's look at what happens in Exodus 14, verse 4. God says to Moses, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God says, listen, Moses, what you need to understand is that this problem is an opportunity for people to finally discover what a great God I am. And look, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to do something so amazing that when people look and see what happens, they're not going to say, oh, look at Moses, what a great leader he is. Moses, what I am going to do, people will not look and say, oh, Moses, look at what a great warrior he is. No, 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 no. Instead of looking and saying, oh, what a great man Moses is, I want them to look and say, oh, what a great God Moses serves. And that's what we need to understand is that sometimes, sometimes it is the hardest times in our lives in which God most reveals his glory. Isn't that true? When people look at you and they see your strength in the midst of your difficulty, when people look and they, they see your joy in the midst of suffering, when people look and they, they see your hope and your courage when everybody else is running for fear. The goal is not that people would look and say, oh, what a great person you are. That they will look and say, oh, what a great God you serve. Because make no mistake, listen, it is not the strength of, it's not my strength in me. It is the strength of Christ in me. Because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? That's what makes all the difference. And so what that means is we need to be careful to not ever forget what kind of God we serve. The problems that come into our life, so often when we get into our own trouble, it's because we have forgotten what kind of God we serve. Look at what happens here in verse 11. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? <laughs> they may be hopeless, but they have not lost their sense of humor. <laughs> they say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? 
Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. What's going on here? You see, in this moment, they have forgotten what kind of God they serve. They had seen the power of God. They had seen while they were slaves in Egypt, God bring the plagues upon the land, turn the Nile River into blood, send frogs and locusts. They had seen God send hail and lightning. They saw God turn the day into darkness. They saw the ten plagues that God used in order to force uh, Pharaoh to let God's people go. So they had seen what God can do. They had seen the power of God's mighty hand. But in this moment of fear and desperation... They forgot. And let me tell you something. Here is the problem when we forget. Let's put this on the screen. When you forget what God has done for you, you become tempted to run back into the very bondage from which he has freed you. Isn't that what happens in this story? See, when you forget what God has freed you from, when you forget how bad it really was when you served the world rather than God, that in that moment of fear and desperation, you are tempted to run back into the very bondage and slavery which God has already freed you from. You're tempted to run right back into that addiction that used to hold you. You're tempted to run right back into that destructive relationship with that person. You're tempted to run right back into those bad habits. You're tempted to run right back into old patterns of thinking. Why? Because sometimes, if you're not careful, you can forget what kind of God you serve. L let me share with you what kind of God you serve. Let me give you just a little example of something really cool and amazing and miraculous that happened this week here in our church, which we have seen God move in so many miraculous ways. And this is just a really cool one that happened this particular week. Uh, last Sunday, we rolled out our brand new prayer team. That every Sunday after service down here on each side, uh, we have now these uh, prayer team members who have been trained and equipped. And they're uh, down here so that after the service, if you want more of God or you want prayer for healing or, or for provision or whatever it is, they are here as prayer partners for you every Sunday. And we've, we've trained them, we've equipped them. And, and last week we had a new prayer team member who I, I just want to read to you. He sent me an email, and this is just kind of a summary of it. He said, basically, as we've been going through this training, that I've had these thoughts of whether or not I should be part of the team. Do I have enough of the Holy Spirit in my life? He said, last Sunday, I was nervous about praying with people after church. And so before church, he talks about leaving his house and going out into the woods for a walk to pray. And he said, I asked for God to give me a word. Father, let me know that, that, you know that being part of this prayer team is something that I can do. Lord, increase my faith. And by the way, that is, that is a very good prayer to pray. Lord, increase my faith. And he said, in that moment, God gave me a word. Two words, really. It was kind of strange because I, these are words that I did not know, a, a language I did not know. And he said, so I thought maybe I was speaking in tongues because these are words that I had never heard before. 
Naga Hakim. And he said, I had no idea what it meant, Naga Hakim. And so they come to church and he's sitting out there and I, I'm teaching last week on this story about Moses. And I, I said at a certain point, and there's this, there's this Hebrew word that we need to understand in order to understand what's going on in the story and how it fits into the covenant and the old covenant and the new covenant. And I said, the word is naga. You remember that? Over here we had a student who was like, naga. And so, uh, and so as I'm teaching on what this word means, and I said that it means to reach out to touch. And all of a sudden, he realizes that's the first of the two words that God gave me this morning when I was praying before church. To reach out, to touch. And so immediately, you can imagine how excited he is to, to go home and look up in Hebrew. What is this second word, Akim or Achim in, in Hebrew? And he looks it up, and it means, oh, get this, this is good. The second word means God will establish. God is the one who will build it. God is the one who will accomplish his purpose through you. And so God, in a, in a prayer for assurance, gives him this word. Reach out. Pray for others. Touch others. Because God is the one who's going to do it through you. That's the kind of God we serve. See, listen, when we do mission and ministry, it's not about what we can do, it's about what he can do. Amen? Amen. That's okay. Come on, come on, come on. Give it to him. Give it to him. That's the kind of God that we serve. Because listen, the moment you forget what kind of God you serve is the moment you are tempted to run back into the old fear and the old slavery and the old habits and the old bondage. And so here is what happens next. Are you ready? Exodus 14, look at verse 21. Exodus 14, beginning in verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left and the Egyptians pursued them into the dry seabed. Now, I, I want to make sure you picture this. Some of you grew up in church and so maybe you already have these pictures in mind, but some of you did not. Get what's going on here. He raises his arms in the air and the water parts by the power of God and the Israelites, talk about faith, step down into the very land that used to be covered in water. Now, most places in the world, they don't get what that's like. But you happen to live near the Bay of Fundy. You know what it's like to walk <laughs> on the bottom of the ocean. But to them, that was craziness. They had never seen the water recede so that you could walk. Literally, it says... A wall of water on each side. And so they, they, they rush down in and they're walking across through. And meanwhile, the Egyptian army pursues them. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving and the Egyptians said, let's get away from these Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. 
That should sound really familiar. We sing songs that, that speak of this very thing. Many times you don't realize the songs we sing every Sunday come directly from Scripture. And so then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. And the Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea as the walls of water came crashing back down. And the water flowed back and it covered the chariots and horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And here's the end of the story. When you go to the very last verse of this chapter, verse 31, it says, And when the Israelites saw the great power that the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This, this part right here, going through the crisis, going through the Red Sea experience, increasing their faith, increasing their trust in God, this is the value of a Red Sea experience. Here's an unfortunate truth that I have learned in my life. I wish it were not true, but I think that many times it is. That very seldom do I learn these deep and powerful spiritual lessons and go through seasons of great spiritual growth when everything is easy and comfortable in my life. That often the times where I grow the most are the times when I go through a Red Sea experience with the immovable object in front of me and the Egyptian army behind me and I think there is nowhere else to go. And in this moment where they learn that hard times are the best times to grow in our faith, here's what Moses told them to do. Here is what preceded this miracle. In order for this miracle to take place, Moses had given the people some very specific instructions. He told them to do three things that you see in this verse. He said, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Three things here. Let's read it out loud together so that, you could, so that you can get this in your heart. Let's read it out loud. It says, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So what are the three things? First of all, he says, do not be afraid. Fear not. That is a, a phrase that shows up again and again and again and again and again in Scripture. Fear not. There is something about fear, even as powerful as it is, that our choices impact our fear. 
Do not be afraid. Secondly, stand firm. Don't run away. Don't run off and hide from everybody. Don't pretend like the problem is not an issue. Stand against your fear and be still. Be still. I, I think that this idea of being still is something that sometimes we can get confused about. I think sometimes we think that be still means do nothing. Notice it does not say do still, it says be still. The difference between doing and being. Sometimes we need to keep doing what God says we need to do even when we're afraid. But in our being, there can be a stillness that even though this situation seems out of control, I can trust God because I remember what kind of God I serve. And so number five, God divides the water so that you can go through it. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. So God tells him, here's how this miracle is going to take place. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. God divided the water miraculously so that they could go through it. And listen, whatever you are facing today, I'm here to tell you that if you will put your hope in God and put Him first and do what He says to do in His Word, God will make a way where there seems to be no way so that you can go through it. Stephen Curtis Chapman is one of the most accomplished artists in Christian music. He has sold more than 10 million albums. He has nine gold and platinum records. He's won five Grammy Awards and 56 Dove Awards, more than any other artist in history. But in 2008, his family was rocked by a horrible, horrible accident. When his son got in the car, his 17-year-old son, to pull out of the driveway and did not see his little sister, four-year-old Maria Sue, and he ran over her in the car and she died that day. And so what I want to do is read to you from an article by Elizabeth Diffin, and she talks about what she experienced attending a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert, the first one that he performed after losing his daughter. She said, Chapman opened the concert that night with a song by Matt Redman called Blessed Be Your Name. This was just two months, two months after the death of his five-year-old daughter in a tragic accident at the family's home. Blessed Be Your Name was also the first song that Chapman sang on that day, the day of Maria's death, when he wasn't sure he would ever be able to sing again. Inspired by the story of Job, at one point the lyrics repeat, he gives and takes away. And as I sang this song, he said, it wasn't a song anymore, it was a cry, a scream, 
a prayer. And so Chapman stood that day in front of the audience of nearly 5,000 people and said, I have found an amazing comfort and peace that surpasses all understanding. Chapman also shared that after Maria's death, he had to reconsider all the songs that he had written over the years, wondering whether he could still sing and believe them. All these songs of faith and hope, did he even believe them anymore? He said, instead, losing his little girl brought the meaning of some of those songs into an even sharper focus for him. One example was the song, Yours, which talks about how everything in the world belongs to God. He said, in this song in particular, I had come to a new realization. He said that there was not an inch of creation that God does not look at and say, all of that is mine. And so after his daughter's death, he wrote a whole new verse to the song, Yours. I want to read to you the words of this new verse. He wrote, I have walked the valley of death's shadow, so deep and dark that I could barely breathe. I've had to let go of more than I could bear. And I've questioned everything that I believe. But still, even here in this great darkness, a comfort and a hope comes breaking through. As I can say in life or death, God, we belong to you. See, the story of Moses teaches us that no matter what you're going, there are two words that make all the difference in your story. And the words are this, but God. Everybody, would you say that with me? Say, but God. Say it again. Say, but God. The sickness has come into my life and the doctors don't know what to do, but God. I've lost my job and I don't know what to do, but God. I've lost someone I love and I don't know what to do, but God. Here I stand in front of the Red Sea with nowhere to go. The Egyptian army is behind me and everybody else is running for fear. But God is the one who makes a way. Will you stand? And I don't know where you are in your life today. For some of you, maybe this brings back memories of a difficult time that you have been through in your past. Maybe for others, it makes you think of certain things that might happen in your future that at times you have worried about. And it hasn't happened yet. But maybe you are con consumed with fear over what might happen. God doesn't want you to live that way. And maybe for others of you, right now, this is the very story of where you are. And you don't know what to do, and you don't know where to turn. But God has you here for a reason today. And so we pray together, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we we think of how you worked in the life of Moses. 
and how for 40 years he was in that desert season being prepared to fulfill the great dream that you placed in his heart. But even then, when it seemed like they were finally escaping and finally finding freedom, then they come to this Red Sea experience and they don't know what to do. And God, we pray today that we would be reminded and take hope in the fact of what kind of God you are. That you're a God of miracles, you're a God of healing, you're a God of deliverance, you're a God of answers, you're a God of comfort, you're a God of strength. You're a God who infuses us with courage even when everyone else is afraid. And so today for those who are fearful, May hope rise up from deep within. And like Moses, may we reach our arms up and declare your power over our problem. And for anyone here today who, who has never accepted Christ, for anyone who has not surrendered their life to you, for anyone who is sensing that today is their day of salvation when they need to confess their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus. Right now, in your heart, all around this room, if that's who you are, if you need to surrender your life to Christ, just in your heart right now, say, Father, I confess my sin and I receive your forgiveness. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me so that now I can be a child of God. And so I lift up my life to you. Come in and take control and have your way over every area of my being. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say...